Hello, hello. My name is Mika Marcelet, and you are listening to Talking Aging on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM or coopradio.org. This is being recorded on the unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. And today I will be speaking with three people about the Swan Tool. So Atiyah Mahmood, Thomas Ford, and Holly Lemmy. They are from SFU, and I'm very excited about this conversation because accessibility is so important to me in my dreams of having age-friendly communities everywhere we go. So without further ado, we'll get right into the introductions. I hope you enjoy. I'm Atiyah Mahmoud. I'm an associate professor in the gerontology department, and I am the um, SFU, uh, gerontology department in SFU, and I'm the SFU lead on a project called Mobility Access and Participation in Abbreviation Map, and the SWAN tool is a part of that project, and I'll discuss the SWAN tool later. Let uh, Thomas go next. Um, So my name is Thomas Ford. I'm a PhD student in the Department of Gerontology and a long-term student of the Department of Gerontology, actually. I did my uh, minor as well as my... um, master's coursework in that department. And I'm the research project coordinator on the MAP project that Atiyah has just mentioned, as well as um, Atiyah is also my senior supervisor. And I'll pass it to Holly. And I'm Holly Lemmy. I am also from the Department of Gerontology at SFU. I'm finishing up my master's program there. And um, some of my background is in urban planning. So considerations for the built environment and older adults are really important to me. Amazing. Yeah, that's perfect. And thank you so much, um, all three of you, for joining me today. I think I'd love to start off by hearing, like, what does SWAN stand for and how is the SWAN tool used? SWAN stands for Stakeholders, Walkability, and Availability Audit in Neighborhoods. And SWAN also has a new version that we are in the develop, it's under development, and it is for parts. That one we call it Stakeholders, Walkability, and Availability Audit in Nature. But the acronym is the same. So today I'm going to be going to mainly discuss the SWAN in the neighborhood context. Uh, so SWAN is a user-led tool, which means that is an audit or observation tool which is used by research participants to help collect data in the neighborhood about barriers and facilitators in the neighborhood urban design or the neighborhood layout design, which helps them to be mobile and actively participate in the society. And we have specifically focused on different kinds of population groups. Uh, we started with this one initially was developed uh, as a tool for older adults, and this was funded through a project in Germany. So this was developed in Germany by me, uh, um, and then uh, it was later adapted to bring in more accessibility focus. So looking at persons with mobility disability, people who use uh, mobility assistive device to get around, and I think that that was what was uh, showcased at the Burnaby Festival of Light. What we are currently also developing and are expanding the tool to look at other forms of disability, such as vision issues, hearing issues, and also persons with dementia who are living in the community. And as I mentioned, uh, of uh, for different ability, people with different abilities using parks or nature, nat- natural features. Uh, so that is what in in a, in a very short focus on Swan. And so, uh, Swan was developed based on some. 
uh, researcher-led tools, which were much more detailed. And uh, so one was a sweat R2, which was a walkability, uh, not walkability, just walkability audit tool for seniors. And, and uh, also <clears throat> based on IMI, which is another one that was not senior focused. But uh, Swan specifically was designed to be much more user friendly. And uh, the goal was in Swan is, as, as we, I mentioned earlier, the audit or observation of the environment to see advantages or disadvantages in the environment. But also the other goal is to have uh, participants become co-researchers. So we often call them co-researchers, or we sometimes they're also known as citizen scientists. So they help to identify areas they want to collect data on and help us to collect the data uh, so that they have a say. And then once we have the data, we share that information or work with them together to come up with what is the data saying so that they can also advocate for change in the neighborhood. So it has that component of engagement, and uh, advocacy or, uh, or at least being able to speak with the data, what is out there, plus um, evaluating the neighborhood. Uh, so uh, that is, uh, in, in short, the tool. Uh, do you have any other questions about it? Well, um, I have a lot of questions about it, but basically it started off for older adults specifically mm -hmm. and then kind of expanded from there. Do you notice mm -hmm. that there's like, a need is that kind of why the ball kept rolling because um like cities or neighborhoods neglect accessibility sometimes when they're when they're planning yes and there was a need and so when we developed it for the older adults because it came from other research we had done where we didn't have the voice of the participants in there it was more we, to, we collected the data and then presented to the participant, and the participants wanted to be more actively involved. Uh, so uh, that is why initially it was developed. And then uh, the opportunity came uh, when there was the Canadian Disability Participation Project, which is a social science humanities research council funded project that happened like I think it's now six years back. Uh, and uh, they, there was an interest there to really document and have a community participatory base focus in the project and the swan landed very well there that is where it was expanded to persons with using mobility assistive devices and uh, the enhanced tool can be used by older adults too but it has more accessibility features built in there and there are five domains in swan uh, that looks at function of the streets then it looks at safety and security aspects then it looks at supportive features uh, and uh, what we call is uh, things like destinations. Uh, and then the fourth aspect is maintenance and uh, upkeep, which also is known as aesthetics of the environment. And the final one is the social aspects. Everything that we can see by looking at the environment, not asking people, but looking what is out there. So it was seen that uh, this group uh, with mobility assistive device, there was a need for them to be able to be engaged in the research and also be able to vocalize what they were seeing. And then uh, the next project that came into the, the Canadian Disability Participation Project ended. Uh, we got further funding um, from, uh, again, Social Science Humanities Research Council, the abbreviation is SHIRT. And uh, there, the, that is when the MAP project came into being, the Mobility Access and Participation. So this group then wanted to expand it to uh, other kinds of disability, not just mobility. Mobility is in the mix, not 
mobile device users are in the mix. But we saw when we were doing that first uh, project that we were not reaching out for vision issues because everybody's needs are slightly, there are overlap, but there are some things that are unique. So vision came into being, hearing, and then uh, with the uh, uh, other projects where people were looking at dementia-friendly communities, that, I mean, there was also a need to look at the dementia population. So that is why these new tools came on. And then Accessibility Canada had a project going on looking at uh, park access or inclusivity for all. And they had further funding came into the project, and that is where the Swan for Parks uh, sort of uh, lended to it. So it has evolved over time, and uh, we are very happy that there is this need. And uh, as short partnership grants go, we really have to partner with different uh, stakeholders, including nonprofit organizations that work with the, uh, these different groups of people, the participants themselves as core researchers, and also cities or uh, the municipalities. So in the MAP project, the current one, we have uh, five or six different municipalities. We have city of Vancouver, city of North Vancouver, New Westminster, uh, Surrey, Richmond, and Burnaby, all in the mix. In the first project, that was the CDPP, we only had three. That was Vancouver, North Vancouver, and New Westminster. So you can see that there was uh, all other municipalities really became interested in how we doing this research and became formal partners in the second or the second project. Absolutely. There's been quite an evolution, it sounds like. And I love like the part about dementia because, you know, being dementia friendly isn't just about like respecting and understanding people with dementia, which is a huge part of it, but also like safety, I think, and accessibility. Um, Thomas, do you want to expand on the MAP um, project that was mentioned? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so, like Atia said, we're now working to adapt the um, the SWAN tool for different populations. So, specifically for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, um, who are partially sighted or blind, as well as who are living with dementia. And so, our team has sort of um, separated these streams. We're, we're working as a team, but uh, kind of a graduate research assistant is leading each of these adaptations. And so like Atia had mentioned, we were um, consulting with community members who have lived experience to help build these tools um, because none of our research team is, is living that experience. So um, we're kind of doing a combined approach. So we've gone to the literature to look for some concepts, but then taken those to our, our research partners, our persons with lived experience to see does does that align with your lived experience? And if if not, um, can you tell us a little bit more about how and why? And then also, what are we missing? Because the literature is going to tell us some information, um, but not everything. And so that's actually one of um, our biggest takeaways right now is that what we've we've learned from adapting these tools is, for example, for people who are deaf of hard of hearing, um, research results are sometimes published in ASL. So that's actually, that information's not been accessible to us. So our community partners have been um, essential and foundational in us building the hearing tool. Um, so yeah, hopefully at the end of it, we'll have um, three brand new tools that will um, really reduce some of the barriers that we're seeing in the environment and, and hopefully learn about new ones that aren't yet captured in, in the literature. So um, we're only one stream of the project. The project's quite a big project. It is tri, um, 
Tri-University, University of Laval, UBC, as well as Simon Fraser University, and, and lots of moving parts. Um, it's funded for seven years, so I think there's going to be some really exciting outcomes of this project. Um, yeah, I don't know, Holly and Atia, do you want to add to that at all? Uh, the map, as uh, uh, Thomas mentioned, there are multiple navigation, uh, not multiple streams to the research. So we uh, there's the navigation accessibility part. There's also a transportation. And the third stream is social uh, participation. Or, uh, so we are, the SWAN tool or the SWAN projects fall under the navigation and accessibility stream. And I am the, one of the leads for that stream. Uh, for the national project, and then there we have a counterpart in Quebec who's the lead for the Quebec team. Okay, yeah, that's great, and it's exciting to hear that there's like many more years of funding, so I'm sure there's lots to come. I would also love to hear, in terms of barriers, what do you find is like the easiest, an easy fix that you've noticed, like in terms of barriers, whether it be like physical or vision, hearing related that that you found during this project? Or even like things you see the most, like the typical obstacles that you you now notice after like learning what you've learned. Mm. Holly, do you want <laughs> Yes, um, so um, there are there are, you know, many different types of obstacles or barriers that someone can encounter in the built environment. And um, in this one tool, we specifically look at um, types of obstacles that are either temporary obstacles or permanent obstacles. And so obviously um, something temporary such as the placement of, um, you know, a sign outside um, a retail store or a restaurant that might be placed in the middle of the sidewalk, that seems like an easy fix if you were to just reposition that to be a little more mindful of the, the space that is needed on the sidewalk for people to move about um, compared to something that's a bit more of a permanent obstacle, which would be you know the placement of a traffic pole or utility pole um, right in the middle of the sidewalk that would require you know a lot of construction and um, collaboration with the city um, to, to get that moved. Um, so, yeah, like for example, those sandwich boards that, you know, people, it just depends where they place them and they could totally be in someone's way or make the sidewalk nice and clear. Like for, I, yeah. for example, after the presentation at the Burnaby Festival of Learning, I now notice, um, you know, when you go to cross the street, the countdown Sometimes mm -hmm. it is like so quick, like you'll take a few steps and it's already counting down. So stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely another um, another issue that we see in the environment. And it's also a, something that we try to evaluate in the SWAN tool by asking questions about um, how long the time is and if it, if it felt adequate or not. And so it really appears that the crosswalk timing has been designed for what might be considered an average person and not necessarily um, designed in a way that can accommodate people um, who may require um, a little bit more time, whether that's an older adult, someone with a disability or otherwise. Right. Uh, and so, you know, of course, there's there's a bit of a balance there. Um, I think maybe the reason why we don't see longer crossing times for pedestrian at crosswalks is because it inevitably delays the, the traffic from proceeding through that light. Um, 
And I think we can all we can all um, resonate with seeing, you know, someone who's trying to finish, you know, they're crossing through the street when the lights are already changing and the nervousness that we all feel for that person and when the cars start moving. So it's definitely something we we see as an issue and we try to evaluate in the SWAN tool. Um, and with a little bit more time added to that crossing, it could really benefit, you know, multiple groups of people. Absolutely. I, I think to add to that would be consistency of the crossing. So something that we've heard is that every crossing is different and within a municipality as well as from municipality to municipality, the timing's different. And so you're having to relearn your environment every time you're crossing the street. And that's also um, a, an added barrier, right? If, if you are um, facing some sensory disability or um, living with dementia, having to learn a crossing every time is is unfortunately just amplifies that that experience. So, yeah, that's a great point. Um, and that's something that you wouldn't wouldn't think of. I also wanted to ask, um, like in your research, if you've seen any other like global cities or any initiatives that you know sounded really interesting to you or something that would kind of push the boundaries but make things a little bit more accessible. Uh, there is quite a bit of uh, research or. Uh, example uh, or what we call it, uh, good uh, best practices and examples all over the world. Uh, uh, specifically, some things uh, that have de been developed in the Scandinavian countries. One was the Vision Zero, which was presented in the Burnaby Festival Light, which came from Sweden and has now been uh, taken on in other countries across the world, where they look at the issues of. Uh, like no pedestrian deaths due to traffic and looking at the design of the environment and also change of traffic rules and how that can facilitate that. As uh, statistics has shown that these traffic deaths are predominantly persons with uh, disability older adults or children, people or, or more vulnerable people. So that that is one of, one of the examples that uh, has been taken on. And then different cities uh, with different types of uh, programs going like age-friendly cities movement has uh, looked at issues of inclusivity and then complete streets and slow streets. There are different kinds of movements coming out for different areas. Some of them are international or worldwide. Some of them are local. Some of them are North American. So there are different examples to draw from to uh, you know, understand this whole concept. I, I just wanted to provide one small example uh, to kind of just to give an idea. Like you were talking about the street crossing. Uh, recently, I learned about uh, street crossing for older adults in Singapore. So Singapore, they have they do a lot of things electronically, and they have QR codes on all kinds of uh, 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 you know they're on their phone or on cards. So older adults have uh, these cards that at the street crossing, if they need additional time, they can tap it at the crossing and then it extends the crossing time by 15 to 20 seconds more and they can cross. But it's not all that if it's like say 30 seconds for everybody else, they can tap it and make it 45 seconds, for example. And in that way, they are doing it much more flexibly. So there are those kinds of innovations out there too and different countries are doing it in different ways. Yeah, see, that is genius. And then, like Holly mentioned, you don't want to hold up the traffic. So it's not as if the crosswalk is always 45 seconds. It's always a long light. It's just going to be dependable on, you know, if pe whether people need that or not. 
There was another thing that you mentioned about the social aspect. Do you want to speak more to that and to what, like when in terms of design and sidewalks and stuff, what kind of fosters a more social environment? Uh, Thomas, do you want to speak a little bit of that or should I? Um, yeah, I think perhaps, Atiyah, you can take this one on. <laughs> okay, so uh, we look at uh, what we say is behavior or environmental traces in the social uh, in the environment to see if that environment fosters uh, uh, social behavior. So in the SWAN tool specifically, we have looked at things like, are there places for intergenerational activity? So are, are there, is there like benches for seating, uh, small group interaction or large group interaction, signage saying that this is a public plaza or a safe place that you can be in. So those kind of things are indicators to people to say that this is a social space versus this is a space that you should just walk by quickly and it is not there. And also we have looked at, uh, in Swan, look at uh, other things like perceptions of safety. So are there bars on the window? Is there graffiti? Different kinds of things that are on the street that gives a person an uh, idea about the street, like how safe they may feel. Uh, or is the garbage, is the bill maintained? So looking at the environment to gauge how it feels and is it a social space? Is it a space you can linger? Is it a space where you can meet people? Has the environment be designed that way? So in Swan, we look at that. But social participation is more than that. In the MAP project, we are looking at other like human behavior and how that can enhance it. Even if the physical environment is not supporting, sometimes human support helps people overcome some of those barriers. But uh, for Swan particularly, it is looking at the environment. Interesting. So it can be something like as simple as having like wider sidewalks or more street lights, that kind of thing. Yes. And lighting is a big one to encourage people. So in the safety and security aspect, we look at how well lit the, stair, uh, the uh, uh, street and the sidewalk. And is the lighting focusing on the street, just on the car, or is there lighting on the, uh, on the sidewalk? Because lighting can only be on the street for the cars and the sidewalk is dark. And then if there are benches to sit because especially with persons with disability or older adults or other frail or vulnerable population you know you can walk so far or being so far you might want to rest somewhere all of those things sort of give you an impression that you are welcome here and you can linger and width is also important especially if you're using a mobility assistive device you need to be able to pass by people safely without bumping into each other uh, so those kinds of things. And COVID, as you have noticed, has, have also like made this, brought this really to the forefront of like how sidewalks are so important and how to move there safely and securely. Yeah, absolutely. And even like you mentioned with the benches, even people who aren't older adults, they're younger, but maybe they've like hurt their back or they have mm -hmm. a small injury. I've heard people say, I can't go there because I know there's no bench for me to sit down. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge, that makes a huge impact. And the other thing that is mentioned again and again by not just older adults, but older adults also persons is the presence of public toilets, right. uh, washrooms, uh, because, uh, you know, it may not, it doesn't have to be a city made available by uh, a standalone, which is available in downtown Vancouver. Some of you may have seen it, uh, but uh, at least knowing where they are, it could be in a retail store or it could be somewhere that they could go to. But especially for older adults, we have heard that, you know, they need to have that 
uh, knowledge to be out and about and feel independent and comfortable in the environment. Yes, washrooms is another great point. Um, so lastly, I'd like to talk about bike lanes. So what have you learned is like the safest way for bikes and cars to exist on the same street? Just because, okay, so I am a cyclist. I bike to work now. And there's some streets that I love biking down. And there's other ones where it's, especially when I was first starting, it was a little scarier. So like ideally there's its own lane. And I've seen ones where I think there's like a barrier even between the car and the bike. So our research doesn't focus on bikers, uh, but we focus on like, right. people who are walking or, or using devices to walk. Uh, and uh, But uh, bike lane information does come in there from the angle of our participant. And uh, there are some items in Swan where we look at like different kinds of like, is the bike and pedestrian sharing the same space is there a division a divider or is there a line and not a not a physical divider versus a physical divider is there a physical divider between the car the bike and the pedestrian and uh, uh, research has shown that when there is a division across all the different modes of transportation it is the safest the bikers feel feel safe the pedestrians feel safe uh, I guess the car drivers also feel safe. <laughs> they are looking more for the bikers. And, and because there have been, where there is a shared path, there has been conflict between bikers and pedestrians, given that the rules of the road are not uh, as clearly articulated as there are between cars and others. Uh, and so that has been an issue that has been raised. And uh, if there is separation across all of that, uh, that has seemed to be the safest. And as you said, as a biker yourself, that you feel safest when there is that uh, uh, difference. And and in Swan and other places, what we have seen is what we call is the buffer zone. Uh, if you have a buffer zone with designated markers, people feel psychologically more safe uh, between them and any kind of other type of transportation. Uh, so those are things to keep in mind. Absolutely. I guess I should have asked it the question differently in terms of how it affects, you know, everybody else who is also walking or, or using devices on the street. Um, but yeah, that's great. Lastly, I would just like to know, like, how can people, maybe their homeowners or business owners, you know, lend to a more accessible, walkable, wheelable, friendly safe place? So I think um, something something that we all have to keep in mind when we're thinking about um, you know businesses or um, property owners wanting to make their um, their properties more accessible is that um, they would have to make sure any changes or adaptations are you know abiding by municipal bylaws and um, other regulations that might be in place. Um, but that being said, um, we talked a little bit about benches and in some of the neighborhoods in Vancouver, there's quite a few um, property owners that have benches that are placed not necessarily for them to use on their property, but are there available for pedestrians or anyone who's walking along the street to stop and take a rest. And so that's one way um, that homeowners can, can help with um, some mobility and accessibility challenges. 
as well as being mindful about um, the maintenance on their yard. So we've heard sometimes that, um, you know, overgrown bushes or like low hanging tree branches, things like that really do uh, work to impede the mobility of, of people, um, whether they're using a mobility device or not. So that would be another, um, another, another thing to keep in mind um, for homeowners. And then again, as we kind of talked about the placement of those signage of those um, sandwich boards and other signage, if you're, you know, a retail space or or um, another commercial space, being mindful of where you you place those those types of items can also, in a really simple way, um, increase the accessibility of the surrounding, um, you know, sidewalks and streets for for everyone. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, for that. I'll, we'll wrap it up now. So we'll leave it there. But I want to thank all three of you for joining me. I really appreciate it. And this is a super interesting conversation. Thanks, Mika. Thank you, Mika. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Atia Mahmood, Thomas Ford and Holly Lemmy about the Swan Tool. They're from SFU. I really enjoyed the discussion today and I hope you did as well. This is on Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM or coopradio.org.